It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. This is the Page Publishing Book Club. How you doing? I'm Alice Stockton Rossini. You know, sometimes stories come from the deepest, darkest corners of your imagination. And sometimes they come from real life. But in the case of Linda O'Laren, her real life story really is a nightmare. The name of her book, Hell Lucinate. This one night, just the freakiest thing happened to me that just changed my life in an instant. It was never the same again. It was like late at night and I just moved into a new apartment in a busy downtown Royal Oak, Michigan. And um, I have always had insomnia, so I would always stay up very late. And I I could see the city lights all the way to downtown Detroit from my window. I thought I'll just relax in my recliner for a while. Maybe I'll get tired enough to actually fall asleep. And um, sure enough, after a little while, I actually dozed off. But then some, something startled me awake and, I, and the room was pretty dark. But I could see like a shadowy figure that's there was like an older man in my apartment. And I'm like, am I dreaming? Is this, I don't know what to even think. So I tried to get up out of my chair and all of a sudden I hear a loud, hard slap hit me right across my back. Oh. And I'm like, oh my God, someone is behind the recliner and someone just hit me. There's more than one person in my, I was just like, this is unbelievable. And so then I was eventually was able to escape from these intruders in my home. I call them my tormentors. And I thought, I got to get to my car, but it was pouring rain out and my car was parked kind of far away. And uh, I'm just in my socks and like lightweight pajamas and it's cold outside, pouring rain. I make it to the car and my hands are just shaking so bad I could barely even start the car. And I start driving and somebody I could tell somebody was following me. There was two cars, one kind of next to me and one behind me. And I didn't even know where I was going to go. It was like two or three in the morning. And all of a sudden, they tried running me off the road. Both of them together are like swerving into my car. And I kept going up over the embankment thinking, oh, my God, they're trying to kill. What? The? I'm, an, I'm a grandmother. What are they doing? To, what do they want with me? You know, well, then I decided I just started honking my horn, hoping that the police would come because the Royal Oak police are everywhere. And um, finally, they just sped off. I think that by my honking made them think we better get out of here. I didn't have a phone with me because I wasn't able to grab my phone. All I could grab was my keys. And I didn't know what to do. So I thought, I just know that I'm not going to tell my kids. Worried that they wouldn't believe me. I swear that I'm going to take this to my grave. I'm not going to tell a single soul. But that's not what happened. So I told my youngest daughter first. And she just said, well, I think that you should see a doctor just to play safe. She told me that her daughter, Brooklyn, had just seen a specialist because she was having night terrors and they were very realistic and that maybe that is what was happening to me. She got me appointment in right away. He put me through a barrage of tests and he diagnosed me with a sleep disorder called hypnagogic hallucinations. And because I've had insomnia for so many years of my life, he said that they create strong auditory, tactile, and visual images in the mind 
that cause extreme fear and the sensation of impending threat or danger. And he said that it can be very hard to distinguish a hallucination from reality and that they usually occur in someone who's been severely sleep deprived for a long period of time. He said once that window in the brain opens, it's very hard to close and I could have them for the rest of my life. And sure enough, they did. And I started having them probably at least three times a week. And the more I'd have them, the less I would be able to sleep because I'd be so afraid of what was going to happen to me. And I was in a horror show like every night. It could be a demon or an alien or a, just some ridiculous, some kind of an animal-like thing. Or they'd have giant butt insects, like these huge bugs drop, drop on me from the ceiling. And I could actually feel their hands like clawing at me and grabbing me and horrifying. Do you finally come to terms with it? Yes. My daughter for nine months straight would come to my rescue about three times a week at least and have to pick me up because I, she made me promise not to drive like that anymore because I could have killed somebody driving because you're kind of like in a confused, terrorized state and you're not really kind of in a semi-sleep almost. Is there a medication you can take? Is there some way out of this? No. My my fear was so high that nothing helped, nothing. I finally realized they're going to happen. I got to accept the fact that they're going to happen. So I found different ways. Like I would like feel it like coming on and I would like fight it off. I would sit like at my desk and fight it off for like sometimes six hours straight, like until morning came. And then I got to where I would like try and sleep during the daytime because they always happened at night. And if anyone's a survivor of anything like this or anything ter- terrifying, I'll just give them a free copy of my book. I'll get on a PDF. If I can help anybody in any way, you know, I will. Man, Linda, hallucinate is right. I cannot believe you have to live like this. Thank you for sharing. Not a whole lot has been written about post-op transgender or pre-op transgender or understanding transgender at all for that matter, but C.D. Allen kept a journal throughout her transformation and shares her story in her book, Through My Tears. I write a lot about how the procedure is, what I went through, um, the abuse I sustained, dealing everything from being a child to young adult, losing employment, gaining employment, things that... I experienced by going through the procedure, the medication usage, you know, the downs, the highs, the lows, those types of things. Procedure was done in the year of 2001. And prior to that, of course, there was the hormone therapy, the uh, therapy with the therapist, those types of things. You know, at that point, it was a very, very um, time consuming process. The therapist had to believe that you were comfortable in your own body, knowing what you were going to do and all the uh, different things would happen to you moving forward if you could handle those types of things. And so it was a situation to where acceptance had to be a big thing with it with people. If you, they could accept you, if you could accept you know, the, the negativity, if you could accept the ability to move forward with it and not continuously to be depressed and, and still stay gainfully employed. And you always knew that you were a female? I talk about how I felt, how I never wanted to play with the Tonka trucks, have matchbox, hot wheels, things like that. I wanted to play with the Barbie dolls, the paper dolls, try high heels on, you know, stockings, you know, play in makeup, things like that. And how I would get in trouble when I got caught by parents would catch me doing those things. You know, the punishments I would receive. And father was a big 
person with the um, structure. He wanted you to be a boy and that's what he wanted you to be. And he was going to whip you or knock it out of you or something until the point that you, you know, it just got to the point that you age out and you move out and you go to college and, you know, um, then he doesn't have control anymore. So how old were you when you went through this? I was in my middle to late 20s when I started doing the hormone therapy and the therapist and, you know, trying to find that right therapist that could help me to get your right credentials to have a surgeon that would actually perform the procedures. Is it is it any easier now? I, I think it's a little easier now. You know, back when I did it was when a group of us that knew we were going to do things like that, we would we would meet with someone who was a medical assistant or a nurse or something that would actually get hormones in a, in, in a vial. And we would pay that person, you know, $150, $200, meet at a certain motel. And we would buy a needle from her that was already pre-filled by her. And, you know, you'd lay on the bed, she'd wipe your hip down, inject your injection, and you'd be good for um, three weeks. You'd either reschedule with her again, or you'd find you an endocrinologist, which I was lucky to find an endocrinologist that would finally do it in his office and believe I was really going to go through the procedure. And that starts the process of the breast tissue growing and things like that. Um, And so technically I went through the black market stage back, you know, several years ago in the late nineties. Now it seems like it can just be done in the office and it's more acceptable these days. Were you able to, to keep your job? No, I was fired many, many times when they started seeing the usages of eyeliner, you know, the breasts starting to grow. They thought they had a, a boy actually working for them. And then they saw the femininity coming out and, it just gets to the point that one day you say, you know what, this is me, this is who I am, and this is what I am, I'm going to do this. And this is way before it was very popular right now, like it is now. Um, and so there was lots of job changes, lots of terminations. You'd be called into HR and say, well, this took place or that took place, and for those reasons, we're going to let you go. Or, you know, it was always some reason they would find to let you go. Um, or someone said that they didn't wasn't comfortable working around you or things like that, and then they would let you go. They would terminate your employment. You know, many times I would leave in tears thinking, what did I do wrong? I didn't do anything wrong. And it's because of who I was and, and how they, you know, how they saw me at that time. Did your life even out? Yes, everything plateaued, evened out. I'm a business owner. I own a trucking company. Um, I have several trucks on the road. And in evening time, try to put the pen to the paper or the fingers to the keyboard and, and talk more about, you know, how I've become so uh, successful in doing what I'm doing. And, you know, I'm very happy now. And my relationships now are, are basically like an uh, everyday relationship like a genetic woman would have. But I'm always very transparent in the very beginning when I meet a guy, I let them know exactly what's going on. Um, but I just live my life fully as a woman and, and that's it. And that's people know me as my name and, and, and that's what we do. Do, do you talk to um, groups or children or? I have. In fact, I was just in the middle of a conversation with one of my vendors. His daughter is attempting to go through something like this. And he was very unaware that I have gone through it. And he was sharing some issues with me that she's having. And I looked at him in just a few moments ago and I said, you know, um, you have to learn to love your child unconditionally, no matter what their decisions are. And then we just started talking. I actually showed him a copy of my current book that's out through my tears. And he was like, oh, I didn't know. I said, well, it's not like I go around advertising every day that, hi, this is me. This is what I've gone through. How do you feel about younger children? Is there an age where it is or isn't appropriate? Well, I'm not going to say that it's not appropriate. What I'm going to say is this. I think that a younger age, a parent should really pay attention to what's going on. Um, Try to educate themselves so they can educate the child and love their child even more, embrace them even more, and try to understand them 
And maybe it's something that a child and a parent can do therapy together to understand together. I don't think you should just totally close the child out. Well, best of luck to you, C.D. Allen. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who are going to be grateful you wrote this book. April Oliver Glenn was a flight attendant before she started working on her book, When Oceans Collide, about two star-crossed lovers on opposite sides of the world and how the universe brings them together. What inspired my book is actually my mom. My mom passed with cancer. Before she passed, she would always talk about, oh, I wish I could just have that one person in my life that just made a big difference. You know, like there is this one person that I believe that will really strike my heart and my mind and everything, you know? And she said, do you understand what I'm saying? I said, no, I don't, mom. I, I'm sorry. But she said, so listen to the clock. The clock is ticking, you know, ticking. That's what I mean, that other person that makes the time in your life. And, you know, I didn't think anything of it. But four years after she passed, I got hit by a 19-year-old drunk driver. And it caused me to be almost in bed for half a year and then surgery and then in bed again, you know. And I was just bored just laying there. One morning I wake up and I can hear the ticking of the clock next to me. And I thought about what my mom said. And I said, oh, my God, because I was feeling lonely and alone, you know, and I said, oh, my God. And I remember her saying that person, that's the other half, that the clock can't finish the minute without the second hand. And I started writing and I didn't stop. So I would say my mom was the one um, and the memory of her came back when I heard the clock ticking and she longed for that soulmate. So many years, and she told me, she said on, you know, right before she passed, I wish I would have had someone, my soulmate, to hold my hand. So she pretty much died alone, you know, and that just encouraged me to start, oh, I got to find this soulmate. Let him find me. Let me find me on one or the other. But that's what encouraged me. It's about two professional people, one all the way across in Europe and the other one in the big city in, in America. One is worn out and tired of, you know, the running around woman after woman, night after night. And then the female in, uh, in America, she is just enjoying it, enjoying her time until her parents pass. So pretty much they have the same thing pretty much happen to them and not realizing what they were longing for the whole time was each other, the soulmate. And it's a little scenes of funny. There's a little scenes of, of pain. But the moment that they meet, they're both on a ship and she ends up falling over into the ocean. Ugh. He used to be a lifeguard in the army. So he ends up <laughs> jumping in, saving her. She gets out. But even though they go their separate ways, they cannot forget the experience of that attachment that happened to them in the ocean. So she comes from one part of the ocean, America, and he comes from one part of the ocean, but then they collide within each other, within the ocean. Oh, this sounds like a, a great summer read sitting on the beach. Yes, yes. So then they begin their journey of trying to be together, and then we find out whether they actually make it happen. Yes, yes. So, uh, you know, have you been able to talk about it or I, I have been able to talk about it but it was it's just private gatherings you know I would have a book reading I'd fly to Virginia have a book reading at my sister's house and then go to Colorado have a book reading at her house uh, pretty much that and then what I would do is 
I would lay my books. I know this is crazy, but put my books in the break room at the airport. They could read it and then one or two would order it. So that's pretty much that's, that's as far as I've gotten so far. That's pretty good, though. That's a, that's a great idea. I mean, you're lucky you had you, you were able to do that. I was, especially the flight attendants, you know, because when they're on an international flight, you've got 12 hours plus sometimes. And they would sit there and read it. And they're like, oh, my God, this is so good. You know, it just gives me hope. So that's the way I did it. So did you sell any books? I sold a couple of books. I did. I did. I don't think I have really had a chance to advertise it as much as I need to. So that's my next step. Facebook, social media, anything like that? All of it. Yeah. What happened to your 19-year-old drunk driver? There's a book for you. What happened to that guy? Uh, that was in the D.C. area. So, you you know, that's, that's prison time. Um, they wanted to give him three years. I went towards the judge and asked, could I speak to him for a second? And I said, I can't do that. I, I can't. I can't allow a 19-year-old to go to jail for something like this. I didn't know I was that bad at the time. And he said, okay, what are you asking me, ma'am? I said, can you give him six months to think about it? And he awarded him six months. And um, his dad thanked me. Uh, The kid didn't because he, you know, (laughs) he was 19, of course. (laughs) But... um, I hope and pray that his life changed. Wow. And you'll never know. You'll probably never know. I'll never know. I'll never know. Wow, April. That's a special place in heaven for you on that one, I think. We're going to take a quick break, but we're coming right back. This is the Page Publishing Book Club. Attention all authors. Page Publishing is looking for authors. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Page Publishing will get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, Apple iTunes, and other outlets. They handle all aspects of the publishing process for you. Printing, cover art, publicity, copyright, and editing. Call 800-204-6099 now for your free author submission kit. That's 800-204-6099 for your free author submission kit. We're back on the Page Publishing Book Club. I'm Alice Stockton Rossini. Dr. Michael Soroff has written plenty about psychology, but this is the first time he's written about his insights into some of life's conflicting messages. It's entitled Life's Dueling Dualities, A Grandfather's Legacy of Wisdom. What I've tried to do is distill my experiences as a psychiatrist, as a parent, as a grandparent, as a brother, as a member of a family, as a would-be golfer, as they try to be comedian, what I would like to do is pass on some of the things I've gained from all these experiences and frankly distill them down into uh, a book that is useful to, A, my grandchildren and uh, other people, uh, lessons of life. What I've done is taken the lessons I've learned from life, seven different categories. There were a series of life's contradictions that one is greeted with all the time. And this is a way of of trying to understand them and guide them through them. Number one is this idea of copper diem, seize the day, versus the idea of, hey, think about it. You know, it's basically uh, people are saying, uh, grab the moment or look before you leap. Uh, There's two different messages you're given. Life is full of moments where if you act quickly, decisively, that is incredibly valuable and saves lives. And I've seen it with people when 
uh, when they've had heart attacks, if you get the defibrillator on them, you will save their life. However, there's another part of it that says, wait a minute, look before you leap. For example, do you remember a poem many people do called The Charge of the Light Brigade? He talked about how he led this uh, 627 troops to attack a, a hillside through a valley. He got wiped out. He got Many of them died. Had he actually done better reconnaissance, he would have actually not lost all his troops, and they would not have this poem. Door number two is the one that is most misunderstood by people, and this is the key to all relationships. It's the idea of called ambivalence. That means, and it's very hard to understand, where you have at the same exact moment two diametrically opposed emotions at the same time. That's incredible. There are just many situations in life, if you think about your kids at the same time, or maybe your jobs, you love it and hate it often at the same time. So that is, to me, a key to understanding life and survival. The third one is kind of dear to my heart, and it's called the heart versus the head. And they always use this as a left brain versus the right brain. Do you follow the dictates of your heart like they do in all the Hollywood movies that love triumphs, or in fact you do some reasoning and do some careful logic, and then you make a decision. The fourth deals with a very interesting dilemma we all face. Is it better to work alone? Now, I'm a writer, so I do a lot of my work alone. Or is it better to work with a group? That leads us to our sixth one. And this is very interesting, to follow the rules, you know, follow rules or to actually break them. Even with COVID-19, following the rules, getting vaccinated, getting a mask, following the rules, washing your hands actually does save lives. So it's a very interesting detail about whether you should just follow a rule and they're good, or maybe you should say, hey, maybe this one I can break. The last one it deals with something called transcendence. And no matter what these dilemmas are, there are moments when you simply forget about any rules and forget about anything, and you just transcend and do your own thing, which works for you. That's the message of the book. And I, in the book, I, I actually uh, cite literature, uh, history, and my own experiences. So it draws on many things, and it's rich with pictures and uh, antidotes and uh, puns. All right, Dr. Soroff, thank you. Pastor B was driving through Minnesota when I caught up with him to talk about his book entitled Dealing with Disappointment, and that includes the way God answers prayers. Many people have a way of how they want God to answer their prayers or to meet their expectations. This is where the problem is. To ask or make a request to God is not a problem. I can ask God to give me money. I can ask God to bless me. I can ask God to bless my children. But then the next step of it is, I don't need to now tell God how I want him to do it. He is God. He can meet my needs any way or anyhow. He's not limited. It is man that is limited, not God. So I felt a lot of people need to learn that. And once they know that, their walk with God will become much more better and, and smooth. Does that make any sense? It makes all the sense in the world because, what, you know, what's that saying? Man plans, God laughs. Exactly. Exactly. So are you able to talk about your book with your congregation? 
Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We're trying to fix a time where the book will be released to them, you know, and a lot of people are in anticipation to see the book you know, because uh, one or two of the messages in there, uh, I've, been, I've been able to preach it there too. I just came from uh, Virginia, and I introduced the few copies that was with me. In fact, they, they rushed it like anything else. They bought the whole thing, so I don't even have a copy right now with me. You know, it was very interesting. Sold out. <laughs> I guess you know what you're supposed to be doing then. Ah, uh, yeah, somehow. This book is going to open the eyes of people in different ways. One of the ways is to know how to deal with God. And then secondly, on our part, to know how to deal with disappointment. You know, when we are disappointed, perhaps with men or with God, it is not because the person is evil. It is because what we are, it's either our expectations of them are too high or the way what the things we expect them to do, they are not able to do it in our way. And so we feel so disappointed. And you know very well, when somebody is disappointed, of course, you can't be productive. You become weak, you become down, you become uh, even depressed sometimes, you know. And so we have dealings with different people, husband and wife, friends, partners, uh, business partners, associates here and there. And many a times we get disappointed because of the way somebody spoke or because of the way somebody behaved and all of that. But if we read this book, it's going to actually educate people to now know that, look, man is man. Man can mess up. Man can fail. Man can disappoint anytime. So when my expectations of people are not too high, then it gives room for me to adjust when certain things begin to happen. Uh, we also encourage people to know how to focus, how to believe God, and how to work with God. All right, Pastor B, thank you. Kaylin Zeals writes erotic poetry, and her friends encouraged her to share her book, Short Sex Stories from the Mind of a Virgin. People would give me a title to write about or something to pop in my head, and then I write it down, and it turn into a poem. Like, once I write it down, sometimes I can just write it right then and there. So you just kind of imagine what it would be like to have sex. Yeah, it's like visual and just I actually can imagine like the touch, the feel and all that and just put it on, put it in words. I mean, it's anywhere from a date night with a husband and wife, the Mile High Club flying in a plane. It's a dream where she's a truck driver having a dream of being with her ex and her future girlfriend. So it's a variety of stories. Do you want to share one with me? Can you read one? Um, Yeah, it's one that I kind of do as like a spoken word one. It's called Forbidden. You keep a smile on your face as you enter my place. But understand this, you can't command me. I'm very demanding because I'm not chick. You left her at home. You tell her, baby, I'm gone. But tell her the truth. Tell her all the stuff that we do. I'm evil as ever, but always stay clever and ahead of the game. Nigga, you sneaky. Your bitch want to meet me, but that hoe can't see me. Wow. Okay. So you are reading these? That's the one that was my very first one that I turned into like a spoken word. Do you get to perform them anywhere? I have, I've done that one a few times. I actually won a meet and greet for life. 
at a concert. His name is Life Jennings, an R&B singer. And you read at one of his concerts? Yeah, they did like a little talent show. So I got up there and the audience picked me. I actually created a, um Instagram under Kaylin Zales. So where do you go from here? Now I just want to do like some book signings and just keep promoting it to where I get a bigger following and then just keep writing more books. All right. This is the Page Publishing Book Club. I'm Alice Stockton Rossini. Catch you next time. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.